Blog Talk Radio. host Michael Cutler. It is December the 7th. I'm sorry, December the 7th. I'm thinking about December the 7th um, in, in terms of what we've experienced with terrorism. I just got off the phone with some experts comparing December 7th, 1941 with 9-11, 2001. And that imagery has kind of really stuck in my head. So forgive me. But today, obviously, is March the 9th, 2018. Um, it's amazing when you get caught up in all that is happening uh, in America today with the threat of terrorism, with sanctuary cities that are blocking the enforcement of our immigration laws, with a host of issues that really and truly are operating against the best interests of America and Americans. And, and that's the whole purpose to this program, to make certain that you have the information that the uh, mainstream media absolutely flat out refuses to deal with, refuses to report on. Uh, mostly we're being spoon-fed a lot of propaganda. It's not about political correctness. It's Orwellian. It's about altering the facts and the public understanding of the facts to achieve goals that are certainly not in our best interests. Uh, as you know, I'm a retired senior special agent with the former INS, the Immigration and Naturalization Service. And ever since the terror attacks of September 11, 2001, going back to that again, uh, I have truly been a man on a mission doing everything in my power to try to wake up our fellow Americans about the significance of our borders, the significance of our immigration laws, and why we positively must restore integrity to the entire immigration system. Of course, the biggest problem is the lack of integrity of our politicians, and not just in Washington, uh, as we're seeing in California and uh, elsewhere around the United States, politicians willing to put cheap labor and the demands of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and a laundry list of other such organizations ahead of national security, public safety, and what's best for America and Americans. We live in a very perilous era, and our adversaries aren't always the people that live overseas, but they can very often be the people that to represent us, whether it's in Congress, whether it's in the state capitol, city hall, doesn't matter. The game is the same. It's called campaign contributions, and those contributions are nothing more than thinly veiled bribes. We had Donald Trump come to the presidency promising to secure America's borders, increase by a large number the number of ICE agents enforcing our immigration laws, and doing all those other things that we need to do so that the immigration system truly has integrity. Slowly but surely, some things are happening that are okay. Other things leave me scratching my head. But let's get immediately to um, what I think is good news. Uh, certainly it was encouraging news for me. And the good news that I'm discussing is, is the fact that there's been a change in the mission statement at an agency known as United States Citizenship and Immigration Services um, an agency that is responsible for adjudicating all of the applications filed 
by aliens or for aliens to provide them with green cards, to provide them with permission to attend school in the United States, to provide them with political asylum, with green cards, and even United States citizenship. And we all know that uh, that agency, that beleaguered agency, has screwed up time and time and time again, innumerable times, with catastrophic consequences. Uh, We have naturalized terrorists. Uh, Think about that. And I wrote about it recently. I've spoken about it recently. Uh, They discovered uh, that uh, in 2011, a Saudi national was admitted into the United States as the spouse of a um, as the spouse of a um, foreign student herself, and he was living here for five years when he applied for pilot's license. And today, because of 9/11, if you seek to take flying lessons, you have to uh, submit your fingerprints. Well, the fingerprints came back, and it showed that, in point of fact, he had um, attended terror training camp in Afghanistan back in 2000 with at least four of the 9-11 hijackers. So here we are, 2016, and this Saudi citizen, who has now pleaded guilty, apparently, uh, to defrauding the system, um, is trying to get a pilot's license. Now, it could be relatively innocuous. Maybe he's decided he doesn't want to be a terrorist anymore, and now he just wants to live out a normal life. Could be. But my bigger concern is it might not be the case at all. Perhaps he was looking to get a pilot's license so he could hijack an airplane. Perhaps he was looking for a pilot's license so he could rent a small plane and fly it into critical infrastructure, whether it's a transformer or an oil refinery or a school or a hospital. Or maybe, and this is an even bigger concern perhaps, maybe he's one of many who are looking to replicate the 9-11 hijackings and take over a whole bunch of airliners and use them as cruise missiles. We don't know. And what we don't know certainly can hurt us. So the agency that's responsible for adjudicating applications, in this case, it wasn't USCIS. It was State Department who gave this guy a visa. It was the inspectors at the airport who apparently didn't have information about his fingerprints being leaked, linked rather, to a terror training camp, um, unwittingly perhaps, admitted this guy into the United States. But if you look at the Tsarnaev brothers, that family uh, was granted political asylum, and they went right back to Russia as soon as we gave them asylum. You know, to get asylum, you have to uh, articulate a credible fear that you can't possibly return to your home country or you will face dire consequences, persecution or worse. They went back and nobody did a thing to them. Faisal Shahzad, the Times Square bomber, became a naturalized citizen, roughly one year later set off a car bomb. Uh, So we've seen this again and again and again. And in fact, the Justice Department made the point that 148 naturalized American citizens who supposedly were carefully vetted and screened uh, because when you apply for citizenship, uh, they they are, they being USCIS, is supposed to conduct a good moral character investigation to make certain that you're worthy of citizenship. And yet 148 naturalized citizens went on to become um, charged with, successfully charged with terror-related crimes. You have to ask yourself, thorough are those Uh, background investigations? And the answer is superficial, superficial. Time and again, we've seen fraud running rampantly through the system. And now the president wants to uh, use that same broken system to provide unknown millions of illegal aliens, so-called DACA aliens with green cards and a pathway to citizenship. So it's very, very worrying. But at least for the first time in the longest time, 
the mission statement at USCIS, United States Citizenship and Immigration Services, a division of DHS, has changed. They finally have changed the mission statement, and they took a word out that I had trouble with when I had testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee five years ago. The word that I had a problem with was customer, because we had been told that we needed to be customer-oriented uh, as immigration employees. I, I want you to think about that. Be customer-oriented when you're adjudicating applications, when you're doing your job. The customers were the illegal aliens. The customers were the people who petitioned for them. The customers were aliens seeking immigration benefits in the United States. And one of the great problems with seeing them as customers is in point of fact that in business, what do they always say? The customer is always right. Well, if you believe the customer is always right, then the adjudications officers have a clear message, don't they? Approve the applications so that you make the customers happy. And suddenly we, we have a new director at USCIS, Citizenship and Immigration Services, who said, not so fast. Not so fast, we're going to eliminate the word customer. And he provided his reasoning before I tell you what he had to say. Uh, let me quote myself. Uh, this is something I don't frequently do. I talk to myself a lot. I don't, however, frequently quote myself. So on March 20th, 2013, almost exactly five years ago, I sat before the Senate Judiciary Committee, and this is what I said at the end of my prepared testimony. It's two short paragraphs. Let me share this with you. I want to make this clear. Law enforcement is at its best when it creates a climate of deterrence to convince those who might be contemplating violating the law that such an effort is likely to be discovered and that if discovered, adverse consequences will result for the law violators. Current policies and statements by the administration, in my view, encourages aspiring illegal aliens from around the world to head for the United States. In effect, the starter's pistol has been fired and for these folks, the finish line to this race is the border of the United States. I went on and said, back when I was an INS special agent, I recall that Doris Meisner, who was at the time the commissioner of the INS, said that the agency needed to be, quote, customer-oriented, unquote. Unfortunately, while I agree about the need to be customer-oriented with Ms. Meisner, and apparently too many politicians today seem to have forgotten, is that the customers of the INS and of our government in general are the citizens of the United States of America. Now, that was how I ended my testimony. So, to February 22nd this year, NPR reported America no longer a nation of immigrants, because that phrase was also taken out of the mission statement. Um, and, and so here is uh, the way it goes. The new mission statement that now exists is this. U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services administers the nation's lawful immigration system safeguarding its integrity and promise by efficiently and fairly adjudicating requests for immigration benefits while protecting Americans, securing the homeland, and honoring our values. The previous statement, the Obama statement, if you will, USCIS secures America's promise as a nation of immigrants by providing accurate and useful information to our customers, granting immigration and citizenship benefits promoting an awareness and understanding of citizenship and ensuring the integrity of our immigration system. And 
the new director of Citizenship and Immigration Services, Director L. Francis Cisna, explained this by saying, I believe the simple, straightforward statement, the current, the new mission statement, clearly defines the agency's role in our country's lawful immigration system and the commitment we have to the American people. He also explained why the new mission statement deletes the reference to the agency applicants as customers, and he said this about that. What we do at USCIS is so important to our nation, so meaningful to the applicants and petitioners, and the nature of our work is often so complicated that we should never allow our work to be regarded as a mere production line or even described in business or commercial terms. In particular, referring to applicants and petitioners for immigration benefits and the beneficiary of such applicants, of such applications and petitions as customers promotes an institutional culture, emphasizes the ultimate satisfaction of applicants and petitioners rather than the correct adjudication of such applications and petitions according to the law. Use of the term leads to the erroneous belief that applicants and petitioners, rather than the American people, are whom we ultimately serve. So it was gratifying because it certainly paralleled what I had said when I was given that opportunity to testify before the Senate Judiciary Committee. And it's something that I think that all Americans should and can and must relate to. This isn't an anti-immigrant position, but we're reminding our government officials that first and foremost, they are the servants of we the people. That's common sense. But it seems that where politics is concerned, common sense and morality have long since left the building. It's time that it be returned. It's time that people come to understand what is going on and why they do the jobs that they do. The thing that concerns me is that you have far too many people over at USCIS and other government agencies who came in under George W. Bush. And Bush was no friend of immigration law enforcement. It was under the Bush administration that two Border Patrol agents, Ramos and Compion, were prosecuted for what I believe was simply doing their job down on the Mexican border. Um, we saw where George Bush did everything he could to uh, interrupt the ability of immigration agents to do their job, the Border Patrol to do its job. Uh, they basically destroyed the immigration service and put people in charge of immigration who had, not, had no background in immigration. Now, I don't think it was an accident. George W. Bush was a globalist. George Bush Sr. was a globalist. It was George Bush Sr. who spoke about the New World Order. And it was George W. Bush um, who dismantled the immigration service. And I'm not alone in this. You know, I've written about it and I've spoken about this. But John Hostetler, who used to chair the House Immigration Subcommittee, and I testified um, for John at least eight or nine times when he was chairman of the Immigration Subcommittee, uh, on one particular occasion, took the administration, the Bush administration, to task over the way the DHS was configured. Because the way he described it, it was a violation of the Homeland Security Act, which enabled the creation of DHS. And in John Hostetler's opinion, and he was very clear about it, um, it was the immigration laws that weren't enforced properly that led to the attacks of 9-11. And he went on and made the point that this wasn't about a customs law problem or an agriculture law problem. Plain and simple, values of the immigration system enabled the terrorists to enter the United States and attack us. And rather than focusing on immigration, the way DHS was cobbled together impeded all of those functions, made it impossible to secure the borders, 
impossible to enforce the immigration laws, and as a consequence, impossible to protect Americans from terror attacks. And we've seen subsequent terror attacks. So when people talk about, you know, left versus right, conservative versus liberal, let me tell you, folks, uh, don't be misled. Both sides of the political aisle see Americans as the speed bumps to their priorities and their goals. And their priorities and their goals are determined by two things, campaign contributions, which are nothing more than bribes, or their own personal interests, which really means that they have a conflict of interest. There are immigration lawyers in the Congress on both sides of the aisle who don't want illegal aliens deported, flat out don't want them deported. Why do you think they don't want them deported? Because they are their clients. They are their clients. And comprehensive immigration reform, when that legislation failed, one of the provisions, believe it or not, was to provide free legal counsels for the illegal aliens. Now, you might wonder why. And some people have very naively said to me, well, those politicians were pandering to the illegal aliens. And I have to tell you, when you hear somebody make a statement like that, make certain that the person can still fog a mirror or doesn't have a flatline EEG. There is no reason to pander to the powerless. Illegal aliens are as powerless as they come. They are even more powerless than American citizens. But they are to be encouraged to come to America because they are displacing Americans in the workplace. That's at the bottom rung. At the upper rung, the goal, very simple, displace Americans in the high-tech industries. And we do that with H-1B visas. We do that with proposed legislation that would give green cards to more H-1B visas. This is legislation that's currently pending right now. It's the good laugh bill. It's pending right now. And most of the people signing on to it are Republicans, if not all of them. Now understand the problem. Uh, the president initially said we're going to cut the number of green cards we issue every year to 500,000 down from the million we're doing right now. No one's talking about that anymore. So if we end chain migration, what they really want to do with this legislation is give those visas to the H-1B program so the people that are here temporarily get to stay permanently. And the computer workers of India are ecstatic. They're supporting the legislation because that means they get to stay here. And not only can they stay here, but then they can bring in their wives and their children and they can you know, become citizens of the United States. And if chain migration doesn't stop, um, that's one thing. But if chain migration ends, they will at least be able to bring in all of their children, all their wives. And, and because of the end of chain migration, if it happens, the numbers of those visas will be reassigned over to, um, to the high-tech workers. This is not good news for American computer programmers and engineers and scientists, STEM workers, Americans who have run up education bills that are second only to mortgages in terms of indebtedness by, of, by the average American. Why in the world would you want to flood America with computer programmers? Why are there members of Congress that favor it? Well, there are reasons, and we'll discuss it in the weeks to come. But understand that there's a conflict of interest, because when you are an immigration lawyer, every illegal alien is a potential client. And many members of Congress are leaving Congress. So what are they looking for right now? Well, what am I going to do for a living when I leave? And if you're an immigration attorney, everything that's being proposed would create many more opportunities for immigration lawyers to take on clients and make lots of money. And, and so this is something that should upset every American who's out there. 
And, and the problem is that all too often Americans are at each other's throats. We're insulting the Democrats if you're a Republican. The liberals insult the uh, conservatives. The conservatives are insulting the liberals. And while we're fighting among ourselves, the politicians are getting what they want. And by the way, there have been articles about the kind of sway that China holds in the universities today because of the amount of money they provide universities. So right now we have 150,000 Chinese students in the United States studying the STEM curriculum, science, technology, engineering, and math. They're going back to China after they get practical training. And very often practical training means that they work for companies that have military contracts. Think about the potential for espionage. And we know that there's been many instances of espionage, haven't there been? And so the problem that we have is that you have Americans um, being displaced in the workforce, Chinese students coming in, getting jobs working for defense contractors, committing espionage, building up the Chinese military. And who do you think the Chinese military sees as its likely adversary? Why on earth are we taking a country that has really an adversarial relationship with the United States, whether it's manipulation of of money, whether it's China Sea? Think of all the overt acts of hostility that we've seen time and again from China. Allies don't do that. You would never see that being done by England or or Israel or, or Japan, building an artificial island in international waters, claiming that territory illegally as your own, and warning our vessels, stay away or else. And meanwhile, we build our factories in their country. We educate their engineers. Probably the engineers who built that artificial island were were educated in the United States. America is acting in an irrational, dangerous, suicidal manner. But you know, the communists have always said that the capitalists will sell you the rope with which you will hang them. Indeed, there's a fire sale on rope going on right now in Washington. These are the dangers that we face. It's not hypothetical. This isn't something that came out of the supermarket tabloid. Look at the facts as they are. Look at them through the reality of of where we stand. And, And let's remember, there's only one version of the truth. There's no denying that China built an artificial island. There's no denying that they've warned our military to stay away. There's no denying that they've acted aggressively in that region when our ships got too close. This is, these are our friends, right? Most favored trade partners. Explain all of this to me because I have to tell you, I'm at a loss. I am truly at a loss. You have politicians who promise we're going to bring more jobs. Everyone says the same thing. We're bringing jobs back to America. But here's the question nobody asks. Who's going to do the jobs? Who is going to do the jobs? Because you see, if Americans don't get to do the jobs, what's the point to the exercise? If you came to me and said, I'm hungry, and I said to you, I'm preparing an incredible steak dinner, and I'm going to serve it to your neighbor, you'd look at me and say, well, what does that do for me? I'm starving. That's what the politicians are doing. We're bringing jobs to America. Oh, by the way, you're an American. Don't apply. We're going to bring in the H-1B visas. We're going to give green cards to the people that are doing the job that you've been doing. And, and, And when these people come here, they're going to be firing you and displace you with them. Because that's what we've seen time and time and time again. You have these major corporations. You have Bill Gates. You have all these other characters 
running to Capitol Hill. We need talented workers. And precious few people said to them, well, if you need these people, why are you firing the Americans who work for you? Because that's what they do. Then adding insult to injury, the Americans who get fired are told, if you want the severance package, because, of course, they need it desperately, you're going to train your replacement. This is what we're witnessing, folks. This is exactly the kind of lunacy that we're witnessing. We're witnessing the destruction of the middle class. And then, you know, what's really funny, and I always pay attention to words. You know, my degree was in communications, arts, and sciences. We think in words. The new buzzword, and it's showing up everywhere in industry and elsewhere. Remember they would say, we have a new invention. We have a new kind of engine. It's revolutionary. It's a game changer. Those are the words we used to hear, game changer, revolutionary. Today they talk about products that are disruptive. That word bothers me. When I went to school, if somebody was disruptive in the classroom, they wound up sitting in the back of the room, or better yet, they wound up in the principal's office. Disruptive was not good. Disruptive meant that you prevented the other people from doing what they had to do. That's disruptive. That's what it means. But now, wherever you look, especially in the high-tech industries, you're seeing the word disruptive. This is a disruptive change. And they're not saying it's bad. They're saying it's good. Societally, we are undergoing a disruptive change. We're throwing out everything that's old, and we're bringing in everything that's new. And, and that seems to include the American worker, because we're being disruptive. Um, Watch where that word gets used next. I'm curious to see where it's going to pop up. But it's almost like they're taking it for a trial run to see how they can market it. It's the stalking horse of the language. The new term, disruptive. It's a word that gives me great cause for pause. And I don't think it's an accident that so many people are suddenly using it. It's the new fashionable word of the day, disruptive. It's a word that should give everybody cause for pause. What should also give everybody cause for pause is the lunacy that we're seeing right now in California. California has become a sanctuary state. And, and this is absolutely mind-boggling that we have a sanctuary state because understand what that means. Sanctuary state, uh, they've been telling, that the law in California tells employers, don't you dare cooperate with immigration agents or you're violating the law. That is such a level of obstruction that I don't even know where to begin. They are absolutely making it impossible for employers to cooperate with immigration authorities. Now, if you're an American citizen, if you're a lawful immigrant and you're living in California, that law is aimed at you. It's aimed at your ability to get a job. It is aimed at your ability to support yourself and to support your family. Please understand what we are discussing here. This is absolutely aimed at you. The enforcement of the immigration laws where employer sanctions is concerned, going after the employers of, the, of illegal aliens, is designed for one purpose and one purpose alone, to make certain that Americans don't lose their jobs to foreign workers. So we have this mission statement about who the customer is, and you have the governor of California uh, calling Jeff Sessions a liar, lots of nasty language. You have a, a, the mayor in, 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 um, in, in California, in Oakland, warning illegal aliens in her town that ICE is coming. 
you know, I, I was over on NPR radio. I'm sorry, um, NRA radio, not NPR. Don't confuse the two. Tonight is my night for, for confusing dates and, and letters. Uh, long week, very long week. Um, I was on NRA television, and they gave me a nice segment. I, I put out an email about it. You can check it out at uh, michaelcutler.net, my website. And we were talking about what the mayor of Oakland did. What she did was to endanger the lives of the immigration enforcement officers. Because, you know, it's the old story of fight or flight. Let me just grab a sip here. I have a little bit of laryngitis going on this evening, if you wonder about the gravel voice. <clears throat> and so um, you have a, a situation of fight or flight. I've gone to arrest people, and anybody in law enforcement know there's generally two outcomes. The person submits. He puts his, his or her hands behind the back. You handcuff them. You take them into custody. Or you wind up in a chase or maybe even a fist fight or worse or worse. And so you have a mayor telling them, be prepared. Now, many of them fled and apparently 800 went missing that they were looking for, that ICE was looking for. These were people with criminal histories. So we're not even talking about people who don't have criminal histories. These are people, rapists, murderers, drug dealers, bank robbers, all kinds of characters. Why would you protect them from law enforcement? You know, they went after uh, Al Capone for tax evasion. If you have a bad guy on the street, the best thing you can do is get that person off the street so that they can't hurt you. Law enforcement is very much concerned about recidivism. The criminal who gets out of jail and only to commit more crime. When you're able to deport an illegal alien who has done jail time, you're helping to fight recidivism because that person is no longer in the country. Perhaps they come back. But that was why I worked with Senator Al D'Amato back in the 80s to create the aggravated felon reentry law to make unlawful reentry a maximum of a 20-year felony to discourage people from coming back to the United States. I call it deterrence through enforcement. So you've got the mayor warning these people, run for your life, ICE is coming. And some of these people are sociopaths. I mean, some of these people are certifiable. If you're out there in law enforcement, you know there's no shortage of wackaloons. I mean, some of the crimes these people commit are absolutely insane. They're violence-prone. Many of these people are on drugs. Their judgment is greatly impaired. She set up the potential for agents getting hurt or killed, set up the potential for gunfight in her own town, in her own town. And she comes out and says, well, I consider myself law-abiding. Well, my mom, may she rest in peace, used to say that self-praise is no recommendation. I don't care what she considers herself. I consider her an undicted felon. Under Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1324, aiding or abetting, encouraging or inducing aliens to enter the United States illegally or remain here thereafter in flagrant disregard for the law of felons. And that's a felony. It's also a felony to harbor or shield such aliens from detection by immigration law enforcement officers. So you've got... 1324, five-year felony, by the way, for that crime. And what's interesting about the crime, and it changed in, in 1996, and I worked with the council over at the House Immigration Subcommittee. Uh, we contributed to that change in law. It used to be that if you harbored a bunch of illegal aliens, you could only be charged for that one crime one time. The law changed so that if you harbor 100 aliens, that's 100 times one, because each alien is a separate and discrete crime. So 800 aliens times five, 
she should only live that long to serve all that time if they prosecuted her, do the math. These are serious crimes. But there's another issue that nobody talks about, and I want to address it briefly right now. Everyone is fixated on simply arresting aliens with criminal histories, and I recommend that we do that. That's a given. That isn't the conversation. That's not a hard decision. You're here illegally. You've committed a crime. We need to get you out post-haste. The faster, the better. Let me show you the door. Don't let it hit you on the rear end on the way out. But aliens who have no known criminal histories but who are here illegally need to be removed also. I wouldn't focus on them because we have such limited resources and there's nothing happening in Congress to greatly increase the number of immigration agents. The Goodlatte bill wouldn't increase the number of ICE agents, as I recall. Um, So, you know, no help there. No help there. But what we do need to do is when you find an illegal alien, as you're looking for the target of an investigation, the criminal frequently moves to avoid detection. Very often, illegal aliens will wind up moving into that apartment. I saw this all the time as an agent. Remember, I was out on the street for 26 years as an agent. And for four years prior to that, I was an inspector at the airport. and I spent the years as adjudications officer. But very often, when you're looking for a bad guy, he or she moves frequently so that nobody knows where they are. By the time the people figure out who the person is, they're in the wind. So when they leave, other people move in. And in certain neighborhoods, there's a high percentage of illegal aliens. So if you knock on the door, the guy or the gal you're looking for isn't there. But another illegal alien is there. You need to arrest that alien. And you do it for a couple of reasons. One reason is it sends a clear message that even if you have no criminal history, even if you, 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 know, you, you do everything you're supposed to do except you're, you're here in violation of law, that we take our borders and our immigration laws seriously, that helps to slow down the influx of illegal aliens across the border. That helps the Border Patrol carry out its mission. But there's also an issue of randomness. Half of the FBI's, FBI, uh, FBI's 10 most wanted, from what I've read, uh, are arrested by police doing motor vehicle stops. You know, the guy that goes speeding or blows a red light gets pulled over and the FBI uh, has a warrant on the guy in NCIC. And when the cop runs the guy's name or the fingerprints, the warrant pops up. They take him into custody. That's randomness. The bad guy would say he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I would say he was in the right place at the right time because he's off the street. So we have a problem with terrorists, obviously. Most of the terrorists have no criminal histories. Prior to 9-11, within days of 9-11, at least one or two of the terrorists were stopped by police for speeding. They had no criminal histories. They were given summonses and allowed to go on their merry way. Without realizing it, if the cops had held them for immigration because they were violators of the immigration laws, we might have averted 9-11 without even realizing it if enough of these people had been stopped and taken out of play. So the idea of randomness is significant. Um, And it's something that we must not lose sight of. Sanctuary cities attract fugitives from justice, criminals, gangbangers, people who are looking to work illegally. That puts downward pressure on wages and working conditions for Americans. It puts downward pressure on working and jobs and and working conditions for lawful immigrants who follow the rules. And, And they're being shafted by people who violate the law. And, and that has to make them feel awfully stupid. You know, I waited in my home country for six years. I spent a ton of money on attorneys. And here we are. And that's the irony, by the way. The people coming legally have to pay for the lawyers. Comprehensive reform would have paid for the attorneys. 
So why do you think you had in comprehensive reform a measure to pay for the attorneys? We've been talking about pandering. Well, the real reason, this isn't pandering, is because the lawyers want to be paid. And they know that an illegal alien living in squalor and poverty doesn't have the money to pay for the attorney. Well, where's the advantage to representing somebody who's not going to put money in your pocket? What's the solution? Have Uncle Sam pay for the lawyer. Uncle Sam is good for the money. He'll pay for it. So think about it. We, the people, were supposed to pay for the lawyers for illegal aliens who are taking the jobs of Americans working in poverty. This is what we're supposed to be doing. This is in our best interest to take money from the U.S. citizen taxpayer and the lawful immigrant taxpayer to pay the attorneys to encourage more illegal aliens to come to the United States to take the jobs that Americans uh, who are doing low-skilled jobs are now doing. This is a level of betrayal that is unprecedented in the history of the United States, and it's attributable to the ignorance and stupidity of the average American, I have to tell you. Most Americans don't want to stop to think. Most Americans just want to read the headline, go home, pop open a can of beer, and play you know, on their computer. Folks, the problem we have is that we're not being represented by our politicians. And I don't care if there's a little R or a little D after their name. This isn't about party. If you, when you go into the voting booth, with exceptions, there are some good people, and I've gone out and I've campaigned for people. But all too often, when you go into the booth and you have to choose between R and D, it's choosing between heads they win, tails we lose. Because no matter what happens, we lose. And, and, and therein lies the problem. The average American is angry at his neighbor who, who has a different uh, political philosophy. Don't be angry at your neighbor. Try to persuade your neighbor. If we could get all the Democrats and all the Republicans under the umbrella and say to the members of Congress, you're not doing this to us anymore, we could turn America on a dime. In two years, this could become a very different country. But, you know, I I see when people respond to the articles that I write for Front Page magazine. And people are insulting each other. The dopey Democrats, the idiot Republicans back and forth and say, wait a minute, what are we doing? We're Americans and we're entitled to disagree. We forgot that, didn't we? The First Amendment, freedom of speech, the right for peaceable assemblage, the right to seek redress of grievances. Remember all that? We're being American when we disagree. We need to be respectful. We need to be nonviolent. But disagreement is how democracy functions, folks. I think we're forgetting that. The problem isn't the disagreement. The problem is that Americans are being hoodwinked. They're being conned. They're being swindled. And instead of being angry with the politicians who are swindling us, Americans are turning on each other. It's a divide-and-conquer strategy, and it's been working. We need to stop being nasty to our fellow Americans. We need them to join with us to go after crooked politicians. Forgive the redundancy. Forgive the redundancy. But if you have members of Congress that are trying to displace American workers, they need to be sent back, and we need to displace them. Why on earth are we looking to bring in more foreign high-tech workers when you have so many Americans who are out of work? And, and, you know, the wages are going up and we're supposed to throw a party. Here's my question for you, and I don't know what your personal circumstances are, 
But what has happened to your purchasing power in the last 10, 15, 20 years if you've been around that long? Unless you're unusual, you've lost purchasing power. It's just a fact of life. It doesn't matter whether your wages have gone up. What's gone up faster than your wages is the cost of living where you live. Well, why do you think that's happened? Supply and demand with labor should keep everything moving at the same upward pace. The reason it's not is because we have flooded America with foreign workers. Foreign workers, first of all, if they come from third world countries, bring with them third world expectations of wages and working conditions. And labor is a matter of supply and demand. Labor is a commodity. You know, President Trump right now is, is installing tariffs on um, aluminum and steel. Why? Because of dumping by China and other countries. They're dumping their steel. They're dumping their aluminum. If we don't produce steel, this is a military issue. This is a strategic national defense issue that we don't have the raw materials that we need. God forbid there's a war to defend ourselves. You know, during the Second World War, America manufactured everything right here in the United States. The United States turned on a dime. Within days, General Motors went from manufacturing cars to manufacturing tanks. You know, they just flipped the switch. and They tooled up, and they immediately started to produce tanks and airplanes and so forth. What will we do today? Many of our computer chips are, are being produced by China. If we ever had a conflict with China, what would we do? Say to them, can we please have our chips? They'd hand you a bag of potato chips. I mean, this is as dopey as it gets. We've left ourselves vulnerable, and President Trump is right. He says, look, we have got to do more to encourage production of steel and aluminum. I remember when I was a kid during Kennedy administration, if United States Steel or Bethlehem Steel shut down, if there was a strike, the world's production lines came to a stop. Steel was coming out of the United States. We were the number one producer. We're not even in the top 10 anymore. So we're losing jobs. We're losing balance of payment in terms of trade imbalance. And we're leaving ourselves vulnerable. Dumping is illegal economically. But what we're not talking about is how labor is being dumped in America. Workers from third world countries primarily coming to the United States, displacing Americans, driving down wages, driving down working conditions. And all these corporate executives are in hog heaven except they're killing off the goose that laid the golden egg. Because as you destroy the purchasing power of Americans, you're destroying your own solvency. They don't realize they're sitting on the wrong side of the branch, and they're working that branch with that saw because they're trying to get the branch off the tree, but they forgot that they needed to sit next to the tree, not on the other side of of the limb where they're sawing. This won't end well for anybody. But when you're dumb and greedy, this is what happens. And the level of greed is unprecedented. As more Americans are finding it harder to make ends meet, we've never had more billionaires in the United States. You would think that Mexico would look to America as its role model, but quite the opposite is happening. The leaders of America are envious of Mexico, believe it or not. They want to install an oligarchy, and they're well on their way. In fact, a couple of years ago, a professor in economics, I believe, from Princeton said, that America had been transformed, I guess disrupted, and we had gone from being a, a republic to being an oligarchy, an oligarchy where the wealthy get what they want. Well, the wealthy are getting what they want. You see, when they tell us that the immigration system is broken, 
It's broken by design. The immigration system is doing exactly what the elite wants. It is the most efficient delivery system, this side of FedEx and and UPS, delivering an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable foreign workers, delivering an unlimited supply of foreign tourists, delivering an unlimited supply of foreign students. How does that help the average American or the average American family? How does that help protect the homeland? It doesn't. It doesn't. It is a betrayal of everything that we should believe in. And you have this mayor in Oakland, California. You have the governor of California. How, as an American, would you want to live in that state and know that illegal aliens are getting the royal treatment so that they will be attracted to California and ultimately take the jobs in California and ultimately leave Americans out in the cold? This is astonishing. This is absolutely astonishing. It is worrisome. And yet you have Governor Brown screaming about Jeff Sessions being a liar. I really think that Brown has a problem. He needs to look in the mirror. I'd like to know what's in his coffee in the morning. What they're doing is a betrayal of our national security. If you look at what the 9-11 Commission talked about, first and foremost, the terror attacks of 9-11 were the absolute result of multiple failures of the immigration system, the ability of illegal aliens, or aliens rather, to hide in plain sight. When you have cities providing identity documents to illegal aliens, you're facilitating their ability to embed themselves in the community. And the language has been all about deception. Look at the news media, and I don't care what channel you you flip to. If you talk about securing borders and forcing immigration laws, you're deemed anti-immigrant. People that want open borders, mayhem, and anarchy are described as pro-immigrant. That's a lie. It's a lie. Why not talk about the issues in honest terms? People that want the borders secured and the laws enforced are pro-enforcement. You know, you have pro-choice, pro-life. If you're negative, if you're anti, you're done. It's much harder to defend a negative position. And anybody who understands argument, debate, that sort of thing realizes it. This is a huge deficit that has been dropped on the heads of anybody who believes in secure borders and effective and fair immigration law enforcement. Oh, they're anti-immigrant. We're a a nation of immigrants. They're just haters. Well, I have a confession. I am a hater. I hate to see people killed. I hate to see narcotics flowing into our country. I hate to see gang members recruiting children and killing children and dismembering children, which is what MS-13 is doing. I hated to see 9-11. I hated to see what happened in Boston at the marathon in San Bernardino. I hate those things. I hate to see unemployed Americans. We can't bring the entire world to the United States. That doesn't work. America is not unlike a lifeboat. Not very hard to capsize. Look at our deficit. Look at the unemployment rates. Not that difficult to capsize. People don't understand how perilous this is. And we admit a million lawful immigrants every year. This isn't, you know, bar the door, Katie, don't let anybody in. We have the most generous immigration policies of any other country on the planet. We admit more lawful immigrants than the rest of the world combined. But for Jerry Brown and for that wacko mayor of Oakland, Schaff, that's just not enough. 
I would love to ask them, do you think we should get rid of the Border Patrol? Do you think we should stop inspecting passengers who arrive on flights from other countries? Because after all, it apparently doesn't matter how you come to the United States as long as you get here. They certainly seem to want to have everybody just stay here. Doesn't matter how you come. Doesn't matter if you have a temporary visa. You're here, and we're going to do everything we can to protect you and harbor you and shield you. You know, shortly after 9-11, when I did my first couple of congressional hearings, I had made the point that you only get one opportunity to make a first impression. Generally speaking, the first laws that a foreign national encounters in entering the United States or in seeking to enter the United States are America's immigration laws. When you have sanctuary cities, sanctuary states, when you have members of Congress, both parties, looking forward to, strategizing to, displace American workers to replace them with foreign workers. I mean, what a betrayal. (laughs) You know, if you did it in your family to your children, it would be called child abuse. Think about it. Well, what's the message that America has now served the world? If you're a criminal, if you're a drug dealer, if you're a bad guy, come to America. There are plenty of places that will shield you, provide you with, with fake ID. Municipal IDs are fake ID, folks. But it gives these criminals the appearance and the credibility of of normalcy. If you were going to do business with someone, then you said, okay, Charlie, I'm going to hire you. Um, And and we're we're not even talking about the normal hiring process with the I-9 and everything else. We're going to hire you. Let me see what the deal is. Or I'm going to do business with you. Or I'll buy whatever it is you're selling. And, you know, the guy pulls out a driver's license and a Social Security card. And he has five credit cards. He looks credible. You say, yeah, I, I I guess I can trust this guy. If you say to the guy, let me see some ID, and he starts shuffling around, this is, gee, I don't have it. Well, then the antenna goes up, and you say, oh, I don't think this guy's too shaky. I'm not going to have anything to do with him. So when cities provide municipal ID and driver's licenses, I want you to think about the driver's license. I want you to think about the issue about gun control. We need better background checks before we give firearms to anybody. I have no problem with that. I certainly don't want bad guys carrying firearms. I took enough guns away from drug dealers uh, and a suspected terrorist and others. So, good. Let's not let the guns fall into the hands of, of, of criminals. That's fine with me. Background checks? Sure. But you, at the same time, while you have members of Congress and local politicians talking about gun control, take the guns away, you're taking illegal aliens and putting vehicles in their hands. We just had a deadly terrorist attack in New York City just a couple of months ago. Some wackaloon terrorist piece of garbage mowed down a bunch of people on the west side of Manhattan. And most of them, by the way, were here visiting from other countries. So look at what happened. This guy had a driver's license and he's mowing down a car. The driver's license, for all intents and purposes, is a license to kill in the hands of a terrorist. And we've seen it time and again. We saw it in Europe. We've seen it in the United States. Today, when there's a car accident, the first question on the news, police are investigating to see if this is a terrorist attack. When was the last time? Go back five years ago. Could you ever imagine a reporter coming on and saying a, a, a car just ran down three people? The FBI has been notified in case it's a terror attack. That's routine today. But yet you have states giving illegal aliens who can't verify their identities, driver's licenses. Let's take the guns away from law-abiding American citizens, but let's give vehicles to people who might be terrorists from other countries. 
Stop and think about the disconnect. Chuck Schumer insists that if someone trespasses on critical infrastructure or a national landmark, that that person should face a federal felony of five years in jail. Schumer came out and said, oh, it's not fair that, that, that it's only a year in jail in New York and no one ever does a year. We need to stop the trespassers and we've got to do it by, by ramping up law enforcement, making the penalties harsh and making it a federal offense. You know what? I think Schumer's on to something. But it's the same Chuck who turns around and says, but if you trespass on America, you've earned a path to citizenship. Folks, we've got to look at the hypocrisy. You've got to understand that these are arguments that nobody can ignore. If you sit down with your neighbor and show him what's in writing, Schumer's own words, this is on Schumer's own website, talking about a 16-year-old kid, airhead, that climbed the World Trade Center tower that replaced, well, I mean, nothing could replace those twin towers. Um, I don't even know what to say. Uh, You know, that's constantly on my mind. But the tower that was under construction, the 16-year-old kid climbed the tower, and there's Schumer on his website talking about the need to put people like that in jail for five years. The dichotomy, the contradiction, trespass on critical infrastructure, you, you should go to jail, trespass on America, crawl across the border in the dead of night, and we want to make you a citizen. There is no rational thought process that can justify that kind of madness. And all I'm going to suggest to you Let's tamp down the rhetoric on our neighbors. Let's try to win our neighbors over. We need everybody on our side on this argument. We need to draft a team, a team of people who put America first. America first. This isn't about racism, folks. When you hear people talk about Latino voters and black voters, you're listening to race. That's a racist. Because we're Americans. And I don't care if you're black, white, or purple. I don't care if you're Christian or Jewish or any other religion. If you're an American citizen and you're rational, you want the military to keep us safe. You want our law enforcement officers to keep us safe. You want the schools to educate our kids. Why in the world would an American citizen who happens to be of Latino ethnicity be happy that there are gang members going to school with his or her children? Be happy that there's drugs being sold on his or her street corner. It's crazy. It's insulting. It incites bad feelings among Americans, which is what it's supposed to do. I've traveled around the country, and wherever I go and I talk about the issue, the people in the audience who are of Latino ethnicity come up to me and they say, you're right. I'm angry that they keep doing this, but I don't know what to do with it. And I say, well, the politicians that are doing this are race baiting. They're attributing a desire to secure our borders to racism when it has nothing to do with racism. As an immigration agent, I've arrested people who are black, white, purple, and green. I've arrested people from Europe, from Asia, from the Middle East. Yes, from Latin America, from the Caribbean, from Canada, from Japan. I worked with their foreign governments. I got an award from the government of Japan. I worked closely with the Israeli National Police. If our immigration laws were about race, Why in the world was I working with the Israelis? Why in the world did I get an award from the government of Japan? Why did I work with New Scotland Yard on another investigation? Because it's not about race. This is the lie that is being foisted on us by our politicians and our alleged journalists. The same journalists that scream bloody murder if it's even intimated that law enforcement engaged in profiling. And there are forms of profiling that the courts have upheld as long as we're dealing with multiple aspects of the situation. 
you know, we're not stopping the guy because his last name was Rodriguez. There's, you know, behavioral and situational and a whole bunch of factors. And I've done this numerous times and it's always upheld in court. That's proactive, effective law enforcement. But the same journalists that scream and get sanctimonious <clears throat> about profiling are very often the first ones to talk about Latino voters. And we need to start to push back. We need to start to get as many Americans as possible involved. You know, President Trump won the election because a lot of Americans, whether they're willing to admit it openly or not, are angry about open borders or angry about the gangs or angry about the opioid crisis are concerned about the threat of terrorism. It's not a hard sell. Please go to my website. It's michaelcutler.net. Go to frontpagemag.com where I write quite a few articles. I write for the social contract. In fact, I'm really excited. We have a booklet coming out. Uh, it's, it's my booklet that I'm doing jointly with the social contract about immigration fraud, the lies that kill. It's kind of a remake of what I did for the magazine, but it's more extensive, and it's an entire little booklet, 30-odd pages, um, that I authored. I'm very proud of it. It's, it's going to the publisher in the next week or so. Uh, but it's about educating as many of our Amer- fellow Americans as possible. And see, what I really want all of you to do is to become part of what I've come to call my bucket brigade of truth. We need to spread the information that you're not getting from the mainstream media. That's really what's essential. If you can sit down with your neighbors and say, look, I know that we disagree about some issues. And as Americans, we're entitled to disagree. God forbid the day should come when we really can't disagree. You're no longer living in a democracy. But understand why immigration is important. Let's be the mythbuster. Let's understand that this isn't about being against lawful immigration. This is just making certain that we don't let people into the country who want to kill us or take our jobs. That's all that we're asking for. Our immigration laws are colorblind and race-blind. It's about protecting America and Americans. And as individuals, we do the same thing where we live. That's why our front doors generally have a peephole, a doorbell, and a lock. So you get to decide whether or not to let a stranger into your home. All that we're asking is that the federal government do the very same thing for us, that the federal government follow the recommendations and findings of the 9-11 Commission. That's what's required, folks. And we're not going to get to that point by insulting our neighbors. I'm so tired and it's painful to see some of the comments. We're Americans. I don't care if you lean left, right, or center. I don't care what your skin color is. To me, skin color is no more significant than the color of your eyes or the color of your hair. You're born with it. It's who you are as a person that matters. This divide and conquer strategy is working only because we, the people, have been very foolish. Let's focus on what makes us more similar or most similar rather than those things that divide us. And if we do that, then we can change this whole nation around and end the madness. Please, folks, you need to get involved. I always like to make the point that democracy is not a spectator sport. Join my bucket brigade of truth. Go to michaelcutler.net. Please forward my articles to as many folks as you can. If you like, post them on Facebook, the other social media. Do whatever it is you've got to do to get the word out because I think it's an easy sell. I ask you to work with me on this, because, again, democracy is not the spectator sport. I look forward to seeing you again next week at the same time, same place, right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Meanwhile, I wish you a great weekend. Good night, everybody.